Start to show up plug our sponsor, facefacegames.com, the number one place to get your Magic the Gathering singles. This week, we're doing a, the first part of a spring sale. Hundreds of cards are um, priced down, and that's going to be happening for the next week as well. Um, we basically bought a lot of stuff from Magic Fest Calgary and other events, and now uh, you guys get to benefit from having prices going down. So definitely check that out. Just go to facefacegames.com and check the first slider uh tonight we got john we got derek we got elliot on his way uh, we possibly have shaheen on his way as well middle of the show we've got a special guest returning guest we got matt dilks in the house someone that uh, we've praised for his legacy prowess before we've had him uh, with legacy results but we've seen him do well alongside edgar at the scg circuit and now if you check the scg tour leaderboard he's number one and the only person above 100 points welcome back to the show matt and congratulations on, on being the number one player on the SCG Tour right now. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Uh, been pretty fortunate this season so far. So, so you ended up uh, playing the SCG Open and uh, put up a strong finish, third place with Amulet Titan. It seemed like the uh, talk of the town was just Amulet Titan. On, on Twitter, everyone was talking about it. Um, my old boy, Brian Gottlieb, talked basically referred to it as the best deck in the format. Um, how long have you been playing that? Uh, that's a deck that we know like Edgar for, but uh, how long have you been, been piloting it? Uh, I actually, unlike Edgar, I didn't play it that much when Summer Bloom was legal. Actually, but I have played it basically since the first iteration of the scale version. I've been playing it the entire time. Um, well, not the entire time, off and off. But off and on, I've played other random Snapcaster Mated decks or Death Shadow or whatever. But primarily, I've been playing Amulet since the inception of the Scout version. And is that like the best version? Is there any, uh, are there different versions out there right now? Uh, yeah, there's, uh, there's Scout with and without Serum Visions, and then there is uh, Scoutless with uh, Lotus Bloom would be the other, I guess, primary version of the deck. Do you prefer your version strongly? Is there any, uh, any reason behind the, your choice and, and, and what you and Edgar played? Uh, in short, we think it's better, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> How did you? How did your uh, like tournament go? What what matchups did you face? Uh, well, I'm fortunate enough because of my leading leaderboard standings that I have two buys. So my first round, I had to play against another person very high up on the leaderboard, which is Dominic Harvey in the Amiel Mirror. Uh, and if anyone knows about the Amiel Mirror, it's it's awful, as you also see see in my in my top four match too. It's very once you get to a certain point, it's basically whoever casts the first primal titan first wins. That's it. There's not much else you can do about that. 
so I lost round one, and from then on, I rattled off a, a bunch of wins all the way up to, I don't know, I think it was round 11 or 12 when I took my second loss, and then didn't lose again until top four. Derek, uh, these results, uh, I assume they matter to you. Uh, what, what did you think about them? Uh, <laughs> um, I think that not enough people are respecting Amulet as a deck. Um, I think that these results are more of a... Like, it shows how good the people playing the deck are playing the deck. I don't think the deck is actually better than the rest of the format, as uh, Brian leads to believe. But I do think that the deck is tier one. I just don't think it's better than Phoenix. Um, I know Edgar has said very, very differing opinions, and he might have my neck for saying that. But uh, that's just my opinion on it. Do you expect people will pick it up at the uh, Mythic Championship? 100%. I've um I've played against Sam Party on Moto playing the deck. I've seen Matt Nass playing it on stream. I've seen I think it's Lucas Berto tweet about uh learning to play it with the help of uh Lizard 42. I think his name is Julian Henry in real life. Um I there there's a lot of people canisters been testing with it. There's a lot of people picking up the deck, um fiddling with it, trying to learn it cuz I think just like we've noticed, everybody else on the planet is noticing um, the Canadians destroyed the circuit with Amulet Titan uh, seemingly out of nowhere, but I think it's been one of the best-kept secrets in the area that it's just sort of uh, crushing it, and if you know how to play it well, you'll win. So I do think it'll be... I want to say a large percentage but not a large in like the grand scheme of things, more large in a bigger percentage than you would expect to show up. If that makes sense. Matt, did you, did you end up facing any Phoenix decks and and how how do you think that matchup plays out? Yep. uh, I played against Phoenix only once, which was much lower compared to everyone else that we knew that played Amulet at a tournament this week. Uh, and it was on camera, so you can watch that match. It was against Kevin Jones. Uh, I ended up winning uh, 2-0. Um, he ended up taking kind of a he had a kind of a fork in the road in the match where he could have thought scoured me aggressively and tried to snag Titans or whatever. And I was able to edge out the win in game one, and then just kind of steamroll him in game two. Um, I think the matchup is close. Uh, Phoenix needs a pretty good draw um, to raise like a, a decent amulet draw, but Phoenix just does it so much more consistently than amulet does. Um, if they're, it's especially better if Phoenix is not playing gutshot. Like that's if Phoenix is playing gutshot, it's almost it's really hard to win game one. They just like get to gutshot your uh, snakes for free or whatever. Um, but I think the matchup's pretty close. I think Phoenix is probably overall favored, but yeah, it's definitely a close matchup. What do you think, Derek? Not close? <laughs> no, I, I think it's incredibly close, um, but I, I do think Phoenix is favored. Um, I don't think it's more, like, I don't think it's 60 40. 
I think it's like 55, 45. Um, I've played like I, I have more on my computer. I've played amulet around 70 times on moto. And I think I'm like 56% against it. And that's against all versions. So you can sort of like take what you will from that data. But I think that, um, like that, that sort of supports my claim that Phoenix is, is better. I do think that it really depends on what version of amulet you're playing. Um, I feel a lot more favored against certain builds, uh, on Phoenix playing against amulet than I do against others. But overall, I do think that Phoenix is slightly favored. We had another friend of our, our show, Tarek uh, Patel, ended up taking down the SCG Classic the same weekend um, with Isaac Phoenix. Uh, Derek, it, Matt talked about how Gutshot, about Gutshot, and we've seen it completely fade away from lists, and uh, we've seen Pyromancer Ascension as uh, basically consensus at least two of in the main. And, uh, and I think Tarek looks like, from, from what I'm seeing, his main deck is, is very stock keeping with the crackling tricks, one snapcaster mage, um, no, no random one ofs in his, in his spell suite. And, uh, yeah, is your list looking sort of like that? No, my, my list is very different from Tarek's. Um, probably like maybe 10 cards different. He has a different approach to the, to the deck that I do. Um, I think that, Tarek's deck building is drastically different than my deck building. So it, it leads to his, his sort of like ideas of how the deck should be playing out. Um, like how it functions is different than mine. Um, I do, I do agree that the gut shot is really good against amulet. I think that it's just awful against the rest of the format. So I just never want to put that card in my 75. Um, Cause if I'm trying to play a meta, I'm not trying to play against amulet. Like I think it's going to be maybe 5%. Um, but I, I find normally just lightning bolt does the trick. Uh, I don't like crackling Drake as much as I used to. The deck is super resource hungry. You, you can't really always rely on playing it on four, let alone like trying to play it when you're in a really tight position. You just have these dead cards in your hand. John, did, did any of the results uh, pique your interest? Like uh, maybe even like the Azoria Spirits deck that finished uh, second to, to Tarek? No, it's pretty much what I've been expecting here. And uh, we, we, I think we're kind of seeing the metagame congeal into like the final state before um, PT London with the exception of the um, Morgan rule, obviously. Um, what I think is scary about Phoenix is like a, um, like a few factors here. One that its power level is very high. It's it's bad matchups are never that bad if you have a nut draw potential. And the thing is, like blue and red have a lot of good answers to a lot of things that may be hostile to the Phoenix deck. Like for example, Tron uh, I found was very structurally favored against um, uh, Phoenix, for example. But you know, as the deck list evolved, the Phoenix list played a few more uh, ceremonies, rejections, and blood moons, and all of a sudden, like that matchup was like went from like favored for Tron to like even to like I would argue like uneven right now. And as I said, like blue and red covers a lot of bases and all that. So I think the actual list for PT London by uh, with with the, all these like t- pro teams working on it, I, I don't think it's final yet. I think it's close, but I think the top of the meta is like getting closer to um, just like being finalized. 
say for a surprise like PT London Mulligan rule driven deck like Cheerios or you know Goro's Vengeance for example or uh, Electro Dominance <laughs> uh, John you were pretty happy with Dredge even after the tournament you saw your friend top 8 with it and uh, we're not seeing any of it in this SCG uh, what do you think that means I, I think Amulet is particularly oppressive to play against for Dredge and um, Star City Games, I think, has had historically a disproportionate amount of those guys at the top, especially at the top of the metagame. But, I mean, like Oliver Tomiko, for example, is doing pretty well with it. And um, I, I think that the Phoenix matchup has gotten a lot harder with the Ascensions and, um, like, the flex spots being, like, three surgicals and, like, two traps and snapcasters, etc. So, Dredges can certainly be like beaten with like these like ebbs and, ebbs and flows of these like flex spots being devoted to them rather than some, someone else. But um, I, th I still think it's pretty powerful. I think you can have a plan against big mana. I think you can have a good a pl plan against Phoenix, and like you just like fold over a lot of the random stuff like in between. So uh, I certainly th think Dredge will be one of the most explored decks, at least for people testing London, if not for people that's actually going to London and playing. All right. I'm excited. I'm Derek, I'm excited. I'm excited to see you crush with that deck. And uh, is there anything that, anything more outside of just getting more games in for your modern prep? Um, I mean, it's, it's really a lot more about nailing the metagame, I think, than anything at this point. Um, I don't know how, I think it's Toby... Hank, or I don't know how to pronounce it, came up with an article today on uh, Channel Fireball about um, favorable matchups, and he has like a bunch of data in it, and he, he outlines 17 different decks, and I think the next step I, I'm going to try to do is try to pinpoint uh, how much of those decks are going to be represented, um, how much I should be preparing for decks like Amulet, decks like Dredge, decks like Blue White, um, and then, like, sort of try to predict how much other people are going to be trying to uh, prepare for those decks also. So, like, if Blue White's going to be main decking Rest in Peace or Relics like they are on Moto right now, like, maybe Dredge will be on a downtick sort of thing. Um, but for the most part, I'm fairly happy with my 75. I'm sure I could always change a couple things, but for the most part, it's watching the spoilers and watching the the big modern events to find out the meta. All right. Before I go to, to Matt, John, have you kept, have you looked up any of the legacy format? Does it, you know, does it excite you? Are you looking at any list and then going, hmm, wonder if I can break something in this format? I think it's hard to really truly break a eternal format like legacy here. The closest we've gotten was like the Grixis Phoenix list which um, came out pretty strong and it had a lot of the strongest um, legacy players like iterating and reiterating on it. And, you know, it's, it's, it's become a mainstay in a tier two, tier three space. Um, for those who don't know, it's the um, Dark Ritual, Buried, Buried Alive, uh, Cabal Therapy, and uh, Arclight Phoenix sort of deck. It's like a Grixis mid-range deck with like discard and like uh, unfair combo finish. Um, the, I think the metagame is exceedingly fair right now. Like, I've been playing a lot of Legacy, and the people have like, agreed that there's a lot of Stoneblade, there's a lot of like, two-color Delver decks, there's a lot of Miracles, and there's a lot of... There's just like a lot of like, death, death and taxes, etc. So th there's rumbling saying that uh, Ant, um, 
uh, FYI, there was a legacy PTQ last weekend, and it was one um, by uh, Ad Nauseam Tendrils over um, Sneak and Show. And there's a lot of rumblings of uh, strong players in legacy um, saying that Storm would be the best option right now, especially because in paper events, uh, people generally like to play a disproportionate amount of uh, Fair Delver and Stoneblade deck, which uh, uh, Storm is very, very good against. Um, as long as you can um, dodge Chalice and other combo decks like Reanimator, I think you'll be good. So um, that, that seems to be the direction where the metagame is going right now. Um, uh, just just be very prepared for fair matchups, especially for those people going like in uh, going to Niagara Falls in a few weeks. Matt, is, is Niagara Falls on, on your schedule? Uh, as of now, it is. I'm am feeling a little burnt out, and <laughs> coming up, I kind of don't want to play any Grand Prix that doesn't really go anything where for me. But I am probably going to play. It's like 99% I'm going to play. So it's like 45 minutes away from me, so got to play. So we've seen you play when we had you on the show the first time, play lands, and, and if we look at your results, uh, you're on Golgari Depths recently. Uh, where are you at now, and, and, and did anything John just say make sense to you about people thinking Storm is, is a good choice? There is definitely a vocal minority uh, driven by one of his uh, former teammates, uh, that Storm is the best deck in the format. I think it's an extremely good deck. It's um, really hard to pilot optimally, and uh, you need the proper amount of reps if you're going to take it uh, into a tournament. Plus, it gets a lot more represented on Magic Online than it does in paper because of the, the price factor, which is good for Storm players because they get to practice with the deck. But uh, I doubt it will be that much of an up, uptick in paper unless the pros have decided like that's the way they want to go for Grand Prix. But they're not even showing up for Grand Prix anyway. So I, I, don't, I don't know where the Storm's going to be at. It's definitely a, a great deck and uh, an excellent choice that people choose for, for the Grand Prix. Uh, tell us about what the deck you've been playing and why you've been playing this deck. Uh, yeah, I've been playing Black Green Depths. Uh, I don't even know how long it's since my eternal weekend pop it, uh, which is basically close to when Death or Shaman was banned. Uh, I've been playing uh, Black Green. I just felt that Lands was not in the same spot after the ban. It picked up a lot of rough matchups, rough splash hate from all the other fast decks, and I needed something different. And um, Black Green has been treating me really well. Uh, I think I play it. Optimally, I think my build is like really good, if not uh, the best build for it. Um, yeah, I think it's probably the best deck for me, um, but I wouldn't say it's the best deck in the format now. What well, what would you say is the best? It's almost impossible to say. I think Legacy is actually in a spot right now where there is actually no definitive best deck in the format. Um, which is which is tough uh, for metagaming. There's no top dog. Um, even in modern, you have a Phoenix and Dredge as your top dog, so you can definitely say like that's what that is. But uh, yeah, Legacy doesn't really have a top dog right now, which is making the format really wide open and kind of tough to prepare for. 
Uh, John, I, I guess we were, we were talking about your boy Cyrus Corman Gill, Mister uh, Mister Storm there, um, who is putting out a lot of content. So definitely follow him as he uh, is willing to put post. Uh, I think what he's playing and his sideboard guide on his Twitter page. What is Legacy Storm deck? Um, he also does stream a lot, and uh, he's very good at explaining lines and thought process and interacting with the chat. So. He's definitely a good, uh, good, good one to follow if you like to um, learn about Storming Legacy. At Cyrus CGMTG. Uh, John, what have you been playing, though, in Legacy? Uh, and Nauseam Tendrils. Um, I, I was pretty... Uh, I, I've always wanted to play something like a combo control deck, um, despite my turn two degenerate kill tendencies in Modern. Um, but there's no close equivalent. I think the closest one I would have liked was Twin, but you know, rest in peace. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I, I actually did uh, play um, the Epic Storm, which is the more glass cannony of the two for a while, but uh, watching, watching Cyrus uh, did inspire me to buy my Passing Flames and Dark Petitions, etc., and uh, switch over to Nauseam Tendrils. Um, it's, uh, the learning curve is very steep, and every, every micro mistake is uh, punishing, but uh, it's been fun, and yeah, I, I think if you can pilot this, because like, you can't really pick this um, deck up cold, but if you can if you can pilot it, I think it's a pretty good choice. But yeah, that's what I've been jamming. Uh, Matt, you, you said you were feeling a bit burned out, but what's uh, how, do you have to stay on top? What's the goal with the uh, SCG? <laughs> yeah, I guess the the I mean the the, the goal is to top three uh, this season. Obviously, uh, obviously in a in a good spot to do that with a secondary goal with being just outside and then you're really set up for the at-large slots at the end of the year. But uh, for me, I really hope I make it because the grind sucks. I, I hate that I have to go to IQs for three points. I hate that I have to fly 10 to avoid a 10-hour drive to work men to play standard that I don't even play. Um, uh, I'm, just, I'm just along for the ride at this point and I do my best with it. Well, it's it's awesome. At least uh, it's awesome to see all these familiar <laughs> names at the top of the leaderboard, and uh, I'm sure at, at least like there's people that you're grinding there with. I guess <laughs> um, we got uh, yeah, Tarek at 84, Edgar at 69. I mentioned Dominic Harvey, who was number one. He's at 92 right now in third place. Um, yeah, so when's the next SCG for you, then? The next SCG, I'm not sure how many weeks it is, but it's uh, Richmond. It's, uh, it's like release weekend standard. I, it's, it's the first weekend of standard, but it, I don't think it's on the Pro Tour weekend. I have no idea how it works. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't look at the date. I have a flight booked, but uh, I, I just know I have to play release weekend standard, and that's it. All right. Well, well, thanks for coming on the show, Matt. Appreciate your time. Appreciate your legacy uh, input and uh, your experience with Amulet Titan. Like, seriously, really appreciate it. And, and good luck, and we hope that you hold on to the top three slot. All right. Thank you, guys. Yeah, that was Matthew Dilks as uh, Derek waves by. Number one on the SCG leaderboard right now, and it's kind of shocking to me. It's nice to see John talk before, uh, before the show was live. Uh, it's good to see Canadians there, and again, we mentioned on the show before, it wouldn't have even been possible uh, for people to want to grind these 
uh, over the GPs, but we're heading towards that direction. Hey, Elliot, what's up? Do you have any uh, modern or legacy input? It's all yours. All yours. I feel left out. I wanted to ask Dilks because I've been playing Black Green in Legacy, the the Black Green Death deck. I'm like pretty locked on it for the Grand Prix. Um, I think it's like I played in the last Legacy tournament I played, which was the SCG. I felt really good. I felt like I could beat any deck that didn't have Swords to Plowshares in it, and then I got paired against a bunch of Swords to Plowshares decks. And it it seems like those are like ticking up, but it's always impossible to know. Like you, like looking at um, like MTG Goldfish for Legacy, which Goldfish never gives like the best idea of a metagame, but like the top deck is six percent or something. So I don't think you can really expect to play against any given deck more than once in a Legacy tournament. Um, and you know, there's only like three really good Swords to Plowshare decks anyway. So um, I'm feeling really good about Black Green. Um, it's going to be interesting to know. I know that like Legacy tends to have like a bunch of different like micro formats depending where you go um, in the world in general. Just like there's some places that just have like a bunch of Miracles players or a bunch of Storm players, that kind of thing. Um, just because I find personally that like. Legacy players tend to just want to get other people into the game. It's really weird. I don't know why they want more people playing Magic, but they always just offer everyone a deck to play Legacy. So um, you end up with a bunch of people like uh, like Cyrus for John saying, like, Here, here's my Legacy deck. I'll teach you how to play it. We're, we're, we're playing Storm today, buddy. And uh, I, obviously, you know, my sarcasm in the past statement aside, I think it's really great. So... Uh, I don't know how many people are going to travel from far and wide or what legacy players are like in the area of, of uh, Niagara Falls, but I'm hoping that they don't play Source to Plowshares is, is what I'm getting at. I'm hoping to play against a bunch of like blue Grixis Delvers, some Grixis Controls, some Saltis, and uh, I'm hoping to, to crush people with Merrillage. Sweet, sweet. Okay, we got we got my boy eternal eternal fan of the show, eternal guest of the show, Shaheen Sarani in the house. Couldn't get you on when you got your GP top eight, but congratulations, my man. Um, it actually makes me forget we were talking. What were we talking about that was missing from your resume? Like a Pro Tour top eight? Is that what we were talking about? Oh no, the GP top eight. Oh, you mean like now? Effective now? Oh no, but before that. So so that, that was that your first one? I had a team one with BBD and Pascal, a couple scrubs. So, um, I mean, if you count that, but I didn't. You know, if individual GP top eight is so much different, obviously. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I was missing, man. It was rough. That's a, that was a heavy burden. I would, uh, felt a little Mangucci esque, if you will. <laughs> he, he, I think he's all right now. <laughs> yeah, he, he's more than all right. Uh... <laughs> I even heard that he doesn't. He might have had all all of his own action, which is sweet if true. If true, you if, know how yeah. hard I try to get action, man. I asked Gabe, I, I asked everyone, BBD, I asked the world. No, no one's giving that sweet action up. <laughs> I know, I know they're guaranteed money, but I was going to pay obscene amounts just to have. I have an itch. Game, I would get you know, it's like gambling problems. So, <laughs> I mean, I mean there's, there's a few people you would have paid a, a little extra markup for. I'm sure that you oh. thought was 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 good. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, thanks for having me on. By the way, man, you know, number one fan of the show. I've been on since you know you came out 22 <laughs> years ago or whatever. 
<laughs> still strong, still going strong. Um, so you you uh, you top eight it with with is it Phoenix, and, and you're heading down to the Mythic Championship. Who who are you working with? Are you working with anybody? Yeah, I'm working with uh, that young man right there, Mr. Uh, Derek, um, as well as the rest of the face-to-face team. Um, you know, it's, it's just really awesome. The GP finish allowed me to re-gold, so literally everyone else was qualified for all the Pro Tours except for me. <laughs> so, you know, um, I'm also, by just because I shotgunned it, the team captain had been kind of embarrassing not to not to go to the event. So um, it was that was awesome, and... Now I get the team uh, test and been a little busy lately and modern's kind of, I don't want to say solved, but you know, we, we're, we're seeing new things here and there, but um, I feel like this is the tournament where um, it's going to be a limited, uh, your limited prowess is going to be the rewarding aspect of this. Maybe not so much on the modern side, but um, you know, I, uh, I top it with Phoenix was pretty stoked about it. Decks busted. Um, Probably not going to play at the Pro Tour. I don't mind saying that publicly. <laughs> a little too many, too many celestial colonnades floating around for me to, uh, <laughs> to to run it back there. But um, it was definitely a good ter- deck for the tournament. It was a good deck for the last for those two weeks because even though um, people knew it's the best deck, people were just so still ill prepared and uh, trying heinous like responses to it, like. Multiple opponents bringing rest in peace from the control side. Um, people still getting blood moon, blindsided by blood moon when it's just common knowledge is there, <laughs> and you just you win so many matches. I mean, I played black green twice in a tournament. And just it's just so easy to to get a basic out in time, but they take these lines of play that leave them just completely shields down and just get destroyed by it. Or control players that lose to a, a spell pierce plus blood moon. You know, there's a lot of scenarios. But anyway, I think it's. I think modern's sweet right now. Um, even though Phoenix is everywhere, I think it's uh, I think it's beatable, and I think you'll see that at the Pro Tour. Well, what do you mean by many Celestial Colonnades? Like that you're going to play them, or like that it's a bad matchup? No, I'm, I'm feeling Celestial Colonnade. You know, it's it's like a bat signal. You know, got second of the open, the Esper guy. But even before then, I was um, flying around with just traditional control X, and I'm I'm back. I'm back into uh, back in love, if you will. The love's been re- the the light has been shine on me, and I'm really excited to play uh, Celestial Colony at a Pro Tour. I haven't done that before, so. I mean, I, I'm excited. I mean, it was surprising. Obviously, it's always a surprise to see when you settle for something else. Like, is it Phoenix or like Burn in an event, which you've done in the past? Uh- <laughs> That's for times, man. I needed an eleven four, and I wasn't confident. If I didn't go eleven four. My professional life probably ceased at that point. For um, I would have to play. Uh, I was my the chance of getting back on the pro tour was going to be just too much work for the amount of grind it requires. Um, so I was like, let me test Phoenix for a month. I did, and it, at the pro tour, at the Grand Prix, my only loss was to the Mirror day one, and then uh, day two I went undefeated. Uh, Ely conceded me one of those rounds, but. Um, it was the deck is just so good. It rewards practice. So if you practice and get sharp at it, it's such a uh, you get such an edge. I played the mirror seven times in that tournament. Um, and my only my only other loss to it was in the top eight, where um, we you know, kept kept a risky one. But he wrote about it. If you read Brian Demar's uh, Channel Fireball report, you have a chance to look at that a couple weeks ago. Um, and if you didn't, it, he mentioned that uh, 
Uh, he sat there for a second and thought about uh, topping after a mulligan, and I immediately island thought scoured him in the mirror. And I mean, like those kind of plays are small, like little niche plays, but like he kept a no lander and then just got blown out. So honestly, <laughs> <laughs> like hit a land. So um, you know, it's just little angles here and there you need to win with that deck. And I think that's where you see a lot of the frustration with Phoenix, where uh, players will pick it up expecting it's the best deck, and it's so hard to play any deck with. 12 blue cantrips and, you know, 12 cantrips, faithful fluting, those kind of cards. You can't just pick those up and win with them. Those take a lot of elbow grease and practice. Elliot mentions a fun, fun fact, that Esper deck, that finished second, somehow has zero colonnades, and it's only creature land has one tarpit. Like, are you going to change that, I guess? Did he have a, I thought he had one colonnade in there. Maybe he's updated like he had one. <laughs> Am I wrong? I, think, I thought he had one. I... I was looking at the list and I was losing my mind that he's just like not winning the game with Colonnade. There's one tar pit and 23 non-creature lands. Oh, yikes. Um, <laughs> well, his deck was... There's a lot of things that have changed by that deck at a professional level. Uh, Star City's one thing. I mean, the, the tournament series is great, but if you want to you wanna take a, down a Mythic Championship, you got to make some alter, alterations. Um, like, uh, two Kai is too many. Um, there's too many matches where the card is not good. Um, <laughs> you know, the mana base 24 land is in a deck with expensive planeswalkers and tapping out and expensive spells. You just can't play 24. You got to play 25 land. There's a few little things here and there. Um, the deck, I, I always liked Esper, and I, I played a deck almost like, like identical to this minus the spell bomb, which is a real innovation they did. The three spell bombs main deck was really innovative. Um, but the, de- the reason why it was falling short before is because Burn was around. And this deck would get just demolished by burn. Like, I mean, if you, you can't play a deck with five, six Shocklands, three Nihil Hell Spellbombs main deck, and then expect to, to beat that deck. Um, and it's, it's like I played Esper and was doing okay with, with Fatal Push, but I would get killed by burn or get run over by similar, like, you know, decks that punish you for your mana base. More Blood Moon decks were out back then. So, um, but I think the deck's great. I think I'd make a few changes. I'd add probably the 25th land, make it probably another creature land. Um, I cut the Kaya. I would um, make the deck just a little more lean with, I think he, I, I'm trying to, let me pull his list up real quick. I know he's, is he three off? Was he playing some weird numbers there? I forgot. <laughs> let me see. Yeah, yeah. three off. There's three off. Okay. Yeah, I mean, just, just a few little strange things. I mean, I also commented he, he should have won. There's a few matches he should have won. I mean, obviously, it's easy to say when you're watching. Um, but, you know, there's a term where he typed out for Kai, and if he's holding the gate, he just counters that hive, hive mind. And there's a few other matches that, or games I, I watched that I would have done differently. But I think this deck was prime for this tournament. I mean, if Burn is on an absolute decline, and um, the only aggro deck, really, creature decks are like humans, which your removal is top-notch against them. Um, I think this deck has really put, like high a high ceiling. Uh, the third Teferi I would cut also. Um, it's a few too many. Um, I go down to two Esper Charm. Just to cut, cut the, some of the clunkier cards just to make it more lean. The extra land for those cards, the fourth up, um, and maybe a um, maybe one more board sweep of some sort. Maybe either a settle or another Supreme Birdie. But I mean, he's on the right track. I mean, this is innovative. It was great, and it was fun to watch. Elliot, did, did you see the, the Azoria Spirits deck that Targ beat? Is it, is it remotely playable, in your opinion? 
having not seen the specific deck, I would say no. Uh, I've seen like people play it in the past, and I mean, you're just like actively going out of your way to play, not play Collect Company at that point. In my opinion, it sounds like, um, you, you know, like there was a there was a point in time where Bant Comp Bant Spirits like didn't play Aether Vile, so some of your starts were a little clunkier, but you recouped that by playing the Collect Companies. But at this point, people are just playing both. Um, so I, you know, there's. And like the the other version was the the blue white spirits, which had aether vial for a bit more consistent power. Um, you know, you can't bolt aether vial; you can bolt noble hierarch. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm looking at the list now that that Jonathan sent it to us, and uh, this. Uh, no offense to Alan Swan, this does not look good. <laughs> <laughs> Smuggler's copter is not a modern power level card. <laughs> Cure the great glass spinner is just like. I don't know. I guess it trades with Arclight Phoenix in combat. That's that's what I have to say about that card. <laughs> uh, it's just it's just good memories for when we started the show. When this looks like the standard Smuggler's Copter deck that was dominating standard at one point. Um, was it the show? I said that card was not going to be good. It might have been the show. I forget. I say a lot of stupid things. Smuggler's like, Copter? I, I don't, there's no way you said that. <laughs> there's no way. There's no way. No, it was. It, it was on. A, it might have been on a different show. I was like, yeah, this card's gonna be a dud. But Gearhawks, no, what? There's no I, way you're gonna say I, that. I was like, buy Trenchal Gearhawks. So they were like six dollars. <laughs> At least I was right about that. That one I got. Fifty percent's <laughs> pretty good. I'd not say. bad. Not bad. That yeah. was egregious. So one card is banned. I'll have a 50%. Yeah. It feels... Yeah, it's egregious. Like, I, I can't even believe that you would ever say that. Like, I don't believe you ever had that take. I mean... Saying, I don't think you... Like, Smuggler's Copter is so obviously... <laughs> what are you talking about? And it's, you never know, man. You never know. Um, are you stoked for... for uh, like, the new set has no impact on, on your prep, uh, right? I don't even know how it works anymore, but... Uh, no. Well, I actually didn't know this until last week when I posted a picture of a new card in, in chat in our chat, the Derek's and I'm like, dude, this card's going to be in my deck. It's going to be sweet. And they're like, you're stupid. You can't use new cards in this deck. So. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Deflated balloon. Yeah. Um, I, but... It sucks, too, because I would play, honestly, I would, obviously, Dovin's Veto is, is great in control. I'd play that. Um, it would fix a lot of issues against, like, combo decks that have pack negation and just make your hard counter so you know, so much better. Um, the new Teferi, I think, is modern playable. Um, I don't know how many copies, I don't know in what shell it would go in, but I think it's, I mean, I used to pay a, a five-mana premium for this ability. Like, it's so underrated put your opponents on all sorcery speed stuff. It's, it's, it's really gross when in action, and people that are newer to the game don't realize it, but it creates a huge... Um, disadvantage and there's some decks that can't even operate just just picture like even in standard if you like resolve it just like Kai is good too in, in this situation but resolving against mono blue the current build of it think about what they can't do once you have the fairy resolve like their whole deck is just like you know shut off done on your turn um but yeah those two cards um i think there's another card I saw that. Uh, oh, the new Karn looks modern playable too. Um, that's not going to be popular. Say, I like it in Control Shell. Uh, it's going to be a one up for me. You can build like he's already like a lot of bullet cyborg cards. Um, I think that it, you can do some not one of them in the main deck, but one of them in the sideboard. I would bring it in against a lot of different decks. Um, 
out there, kind of like a stony silence effect that actually is a wing condition and more resilient in ways and can get bullets out of the sideboard. Um, could be dead wrong about that, but it's, it's interesting. I, I'm definitely going to try it out. Um, but those are like the cards already that for that sparked my interest in modern, but alas, um, none of them can be played. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's just going to be uh, what I think you're going to see a pro tour of, you know, or mythic championship of what you've seen already. Um, nothing too new, nothing too crazy. Uh, Bunch yep. of the players and uh, War Prison and other fun things. Elliot, are, are any of the new cards exciting you? Uh, there's a few of them where the first time I read them, I was really excited to play them in standard, and then I thought about it some more, and they're like just kind of okay. Uh, the first one that comes to mind is like Solar Blaze. I thought that was like nuts, just giving like such an easily castable Wrath of the Jeskai deck. But then I realized that like Justice Strikes no good, so why would a Wrath of Justice Strikes be good? Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm not like disappointed with the set. I think there's a lot of really sweet cards. Like Ral's Outburst, which is uh, four mana for like Bolt plus. Um, I'm not sure what the name of the card is. There's a card from like Shadows that has this effect. But you look at the top two, one goes to the graveyard, one goes to your hand. And I think that's like pretty powerful and maybe slots into the teamer deck because, you know, the, the removal is kind of bad there and you usually have a ton of mana. Um, I don't know. It's like some of it's some of it's sort of lame and some of it's just like mediocre planeswalkers. And I think it's going to be really interesting because we've spent so much time where planeswalkers are like either useless or sort of like the bees knees and constructed. Like not very often is there a planeswalker that's like just okay in a constructed deck. Um, they're historically just like a must kill sort of deal. Um, so having some of the planeswalkers that that are in the set in standards can be really interesting. Really, really interesting to see how it affects. Um, removal spells as well typically when you have uh powerful planeswalkers in a format cards like you know hero's downfall and Braska's contempt get better um and you know at, at other times you can afford to be playing more cheap removal that when the threats are just like creature specific um so this that's going to be really interesting in terms of how how decks are going to be building the removal bases you know like is Soren's thirst or moment of craving, you know, do you want more of that effect or baffling end where you get to like save a manner or two because the planeswalkers don't really matter? Um, so I think it's gonna be really interesting. This is like a whole new dynamic that magic has never seen, like medium planeswalkers. <laughs> John, are, are you looking forward to experimenting with, with any cards that you've seen so far? I'm not sure if there's anything that would fit right into my um my wheelhouse here. Um I think Neoform is very interesting for modern here. Um now now theoretically the Vizier company decks can no longer can now forego uh, collect the company and uh, court of calling and just go fully into um Eldritch Evolution and Neoform here. Um there's a uh, cute synergy with a plus one plus one counter and incubation druid as well as the uh guardian growth guardian chamber. As well as just going um, recurring the new form with uh, eternal witness into a combo, etc. I think that's kind of interesting. Uh, the edict obviously is a nice, uh, a nice and welcome addition to modern. It's been long awaited. I think uh, there's like role players like Angrath Wrath, which um, interests me as well. 
Healy might be pretty good here as like a static uh, young pyromancer effect. Um, the the card I have uh, the most interesting is um, Bolas's Citadel, which I don't think it's going to be very good. But if it's going to be good, it's going to be I think in a vintage and or legacy storm shell differently. Um, certainly, uh, the comparison to ad nauseum is pretty apt here. And if you're going to try to play this, um, it's a pretty busted looking card if you can cast it in time. Um, you probably want to um, add more zeros like opals and uh, maybe even baubles. I don't know. And then, you know, just have uh, multiple empties and uh, um, tendrils of agony and combo off that way. I, I don't know. I, I don't think it's going to work out, but it's certainly uh, something that will be fun to brew with. Um, last episode, Shaheen, we were asking Derek how he might prepare for the limited portion of, of the format. And uh, he, he's saying like he's going to discuss with a bunch of people, go over some uh, pick lists. And I joked that uh, you know if he was going to print a bunch of cards and make booster packs and stuff, what's going to be your approach, my man? Uh, in a different world, maybe I could do that. I'm, I'm just going to study the list and um, rank them myself, rank them with a the team memorize um what i like to do is back in the day when i was you know doing this the hard way which this is going to be similar when pro tours are closer to the set um i would uh you know just determine the amount of third through fifth pick commons per color and then determine color strength that way because i really like to determine color strength the old ways would be based on the best commons in the set typically if you have more common cards that are amazing in the color, that color is going to be better. Obviously, there's some outliers where you have uncommons that can like sway it a little bit, but I consider those more like the tiebreaker. Um, unless, again, you're in a set that sucks, like creature sets that are like uh, tribal, which throw that all out the window. Um, but typical normal sets have uh, is, is common strength is really what drives it. So that's what I'm going to do. Personally, um, so I've been like looking at these cards and uh, keeping the mental registry of them, but with the team, what we did last time is we ranked them, we pulled it up, we, we organized it on MTGO. Um, now we'll just like pull up pictures off whatever site and just put them in rank order. Um, typical team stuff. But uh, I know that this is going to be a crazy uh, limited portion because nobody's going to have the practice that they're accustomed to having. Very few teams are going to go out of their way and print cards and do that, but some will. I mean, some of the real hardcore teams that are there a couple weeks ahead of time. Um, I, I don't think it's going to give them as much of an edge as um, it normally does when they prepare so hard. Um, I'm kind of excited to go in blind esque. It's going to be fun, and you know, like I said, it's, if you can, if you determine um, common card strength and then like uh, whatever format synergies pretty early on, the practice is kind of secondary to that. I think. Hmm. Has has there been any was there any Watsy uh new stuff that you wanted to talk about? Um, you know, just gripes, but nothing too crazy. Just uh waiting on what's gonna be gold pros situation. <laughs> Silver <laughs> pros, you know, obviously we're all probably just gonna get wiped out. Yeah, uh, I think so. <laughs> I I'll prefer they would like make an announcement on it'd be really nice. Um so then, right now we're all kind of just waiting in limbo. Um, so it's, it's, it's frustrating, frustrating for a multitude of reasons. But 
we're not the clients that they need to impress. Um, we're not the drivers of the product, kind of like the in-betweeners. And um, uh, that's, that's the frustrating side. But outside of that, you know, the game is uh, really taking off. A lot of my friends all kind of poo-pooed on the Mythic Invitational. I thought it was awesome. Um, true Magic fans said it's not magic and it wasn't, wasn't real and it's not skill-intensive and whatever. That, so those are all dumb arguments. It's actually really it's, it's it's an entertainment piece. So we're not we really shouldn't look at it like from a <clears throat> analytical side of this is not magic in its purest form. And um, so I think that they're making great moves for promotion. And this is actually the best promotion they've ever had ever. Like not even close. I'm not even, talk, I'm not even talking about like Twitch uh, 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 watchers. I'm talking about just in general like a promotional event. Um, this is just it was you know. From the light show to the personalities to the the stories behind each player, I mean, it, it felt like I was watching some you know ESPN three or whatever, enjoying <laughs> some uh, side sport here and hearing the stories of players. So it was it had me pulled in, and, and I'm not sponsored, so this is not. And you know me, I've been on the show and I've been very critical of certain aspects of Watsi, uh, but this is this is uh, you know lights out, fantastic job. Uh, but you know, so I guess that's that's my my prop in the swap was the what's going to happen to us, <laughs> the people left behind. <laughs> I bet, yeah, I think you guys are going to get axed. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I I've been fired before. I can feel it. I you know you feel the air is thick around it. You know, it's also like they they're still bumbling around with the event schedule stuff. Like I don't know who's in charge of that. But, like, we don't know when this weekend tournament's going to happen that I spent, you know, three full days qualifying for for Mythic Limited on Arena. And this isn't going to be the end of a month, but there's, like, a GP that weekend. I already have tickets for it at Airbnb. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to go to Providence. I'm teaming with uh, Pete and um, Ely for that. The GP does nothing for me, but team events are awesome, so I'm going to go. And I bet you it's going to be that weekend. It's just so frustrating they can't keep their, you know, act together. Just, just schedule these events. Non-conflicting. They need to figure out a way to do that. Um, but I mean, they, they made a statement that they're not like they're they're canning. They're probably canning dual standard, right? I, I think I read that the other day. Yeah, I think it was. I mean, you know, from a format perspective, it obviously was not the best format they could do. Um, I was I was expecting before they made the announcement just to be a best of one fest without anything. I thought it was just going to be. You have a, a, a clip of decks and you just pick whatever you want and just go nuts. Like, I mean, it didn't really matter what they did. It, it was going to be fantastic to watch um, because of the, the ambiance that they created. Um, yeah, but duo standards is kind of a dumb. If, you, if you're looking at it from a, like a really like, objective standpoint, it's not, it's not a great format you know, to, to promote. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what they can fill in that void because. I know that best of three is not, they want something beside that. They want something besides something that they want something quick and easy firing and, uh, you know, shows off arena. And I don't think best of three is going to be their, their go-to for that. Yeah. uh, Back to the scheduling a bit, like, uh, like Elliot was telling me like we're the mythic championship qualifiers. And uh, I announced the dates for the one face to face games has, where we're excited to have them. There's one in May, there's one in June. And uh, we're likely going to announce the 
uh, entry fee and, and the way it works later this week, I think, or maybe even next week. But it's it's kind of weird that uh, we we had we had we announced all these face to face games opened, and now they might conflict with some drivable MCQs, and uh, we're we're getting close to MC like. May 11th, that's the Montreal one. That's really close. And even me, I just post the dates and when they happen. I have no, not really information when people ask me how, if they can play and stuff like that. Uh, I don't know what's going on, Elliot. You, you probably know more than me, and I'm behind, <laughs> I'm behind uh, the scenes here. Um, what's going on? Is there any info? Have I, have I not read something? Uh, I don't know if they made an official announcement, but I think one of the one of the early stores posting their schedule said that there's like no requirement for entry and people seem to have picked up on that. And I was reading somewhere that the next season has like a planeswalk point threshold, but this one doesn't. But I thought that was sort of weird because they were also saying the threshold's like 200 points, which is like, I think an FNM and a half, but I don't know. <laughs> um, so I'm not really sure what's going on, but I think at this point they're, Kind of, you can show up to them if they're if they're less than a month away, and we don't have more details. Uh, I I really hope not. I'll just stay home. I'll just play on Moto. Uh, I I don't know if you were playing Elliot when they had the biggest PTQ um, in Toronto. It was like four hundred and thirty people or something. Like, not many people know this story, but it was ten rounds, and I drove in the car with a guy who top aided. Because it was sealed and it was like twice as many people as they expected, it was a space to face Toronto that was running it, I think. Um, or it was just Kelly, I can't remember. Yeah, it might have been Harry T's when Kelly yeah. was there. It was it was Kelly who was running it anyways. They didn't have enough sealed product. So they had to get more sealed product from the store, bring it back. We had a delayed start. They didn't have enough judges to run the event. They didn't have enough people to like make sure that all the deck lists were organized. So we started like two hours late. And there's you had to build sealed deck, and there's 430 people. So then you have to do pairings. And so like originally it was spaced for like 250 people, and now it was almost double that. So they had to like move a bunch of stuff. Anyways, the hall closed at like 11, and they didn't finish round 10 till like 11:30. So they registered their deck, gave it to the judges, and they played the top eight um, in a Tim Hortons, which was a five minute walk away. <laughs> And so me being in the car with somebody who top aided, we went to this Tim Hortons with the people in top eight and with the people, like the other people that drove the people in the top eight. And there was like 30 people in this Tim Hortons watching this uh, draft top eight in a 430 person PTQ in Toronto on, I don't know, it was like 1am on a, a Saturday or something. I was like, I would have been like 18 or, and I just thought this was normal. And then they're like, no. And, and I remember like my first PTQ I went to had like 110 people in it and it was six rounds or something or like seven rounds. And I'm like, we, we can't do 10 round PTQs. Yet. We just can't. It's just go back to the pre-TQ system. Well, so, I think that 200 points, if that is the actual threshold is like, you'd get a, ptq that big anyway and second right. of all I, I i think a lot of the ptqs i've been seeing scheduled have have caps on them this like is ridiculous at, at 200 or something players i think this that having stupid. 
having an uncapped tournament is ridiculous. Having a cap tournament is ridiculous. Like, I, I don't know how badly you want to queue for the tour, but like, I, I kind of want to queue pretty badly and stay on the train or whatever. If you have people who realize that their cap is like 400 people every single MCQ, <laughs> they're just going to start charging hundreds of dollars, right? You're just going to have to pay more to get these spots because like these, these people, these companies are just going to have to buy bigger venues or buy more judges. You know what I mean? It's just going to get outrageous. There, there needs to be something else. Like maybe the pre-TQ system wasn't working, but this system isn't much better, you know? I mean, this is just I mean, back to the old system, which was fine when Magic had a tenth of the players, but <laughs> yeah, the world has I, changed, and we, and we have, you know, we have caps and all the ones that they've announced for us, too. They've announced a couple in our area, and they're 228 eight player cap 226 or whatever but you're right it's, it's messed up because there are people that really want to qualify for this and this is your only shot your only shot is this one tournament on the east coast for this one month or two month period so it's not good Maybe yeah we're really lucky like we live in we live in toronto um i remember a couple years ago we had three a season four if you counted like montreal i think um some places out west like Alberta, Edmonton, I think they get one for that entire region, Vancouver. Um, I, I don't know what this is going to do to certain magic communities because uh, I know the pre-TQ system was certainly driving some of those smaller, maybe rural uh, magic communities. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know. Like, we live in Toronto. We have a pretty good, pretty good understanding of us having a bunch of uh, PTQs in our area. I'm pretty sure they're just scheduling just a load more PTQs than they used to, though, is the thing. Because I know about, like, at least three in New York. There's one in, Mon- one in Montreal. There's a couple in... There's Toronto and Ottawa for Ontario. I think they're just, like... Yeah, you know, but that's, like, normal. Like, old seasons used to be three months or four months, and there'd be two in Toronto, one in Montreal, or and sometimes one in Ottawa. And then there'd be, like one in Buffalo, one in Rochester, and probably like one closer to New York and then one closer to Jersey. Like that, that was normal. You, if you wanted to, you could hit six uh, PTQs drivable distance from Toronto. Like if you set five or six hours as your driving distance. Right. But that was, I want to say, well, when was born of the gods? That was like six years ago. I want to say. Like if, if magic, if magic has been growing every single year for the past six years, you have to assume that it's, it's, it's an amount of more people that are trying to qualify for the tour that like it, it, this won't be able to support it. Cause to, to me, it doesn't seem like the MCQ numbers are changing that much. Well, that, that's their solution. Their solution. I mean, it's a flawed solution. It's, it's dumb, but it's um, <laughs> the plan is to ax all the silver and gold players and now create the, space on the pro tour and some for multiple mcq winners so i think that's that's their plan right now if i if i already guessed this is not public this is just me guessing is you eliminate a hundred or so typically qualified players from gold silver um maybe not a hundred it's it probably is a hundred it's a lot it's i know i know there were 60 gold pros last season maybe um and then you know you count silver and then the the few plats that didn't make into the MPL, um, that's a hundred more spots they can give away to keep them. 
but they they made they slipped up last year. They said last year, and they and I called them out on this, and then someone someone I forgot who tweeted back at me. They said that this was never said, but they did say this that they wanted the the MCs, the PTs, to be 200, 250 players. They wanted to be smaller, uh, and that's when they announced having you know ten of them per year or whatever, whatever the number is they came up with now. Um, but I don't think I think you're right. They're going to have tons of demand. These events are going to be bustling. There's going to be just tons of players at these. They're going to be awful. Um, awful grinds finishing at 1 o'clock in the morning for one slot for uh, MC. It's going to be, we're back to that again, which is, it's not good. The PTQ, the PPTQ system was better than the old system. Um, and people that didn't like the PPTQ system were just old players that typically just complain anyway, and they, they wanted to be back in, you know, 1950 and Drive their ten hours and win their tournament, their fifty man PDQ tournament. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm not. If that's if that's the future of of competitive magic, I'm not excited for the grind. And like, I'm already on the grind. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, I don't know how much worse it can get. How Elliot has uh, has these these places made public how much they're charging? Because uh, I I imagine that they can like like I think. Derek mentioned, or, or one of you guys mentioned, that they could be charging uh, a pretty penny for, for to enter any of these. I'm, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't remember if anyone, if, if there's any entry prices. I just remember that pretty much all of them seem to have, like, a, a cap around, like Shaheen was saying, 220-something. Uh, like, right around the cap for, I think that's the ninth round, is if you get past that. So, you know, at eight rounds, I think, is what it works out to. Uh, and not much more details past that. But I, like, I think there's like, you know, five or six just, you know, before the start of June that I could go to for Montreal. So I think, I think there's m- way more, way more than we used to get. There's also one at every Grand Prix if you're counting those two, right? Yeah. Well, three at every Grand Prix, right? Yeah. I, yeah. I, they, yeah. Three at every Grand Prix. Yeah. There's definitely more that they, they redistributed the gold and silver. Those are the best ones. Yeah, At least that's what I've learned on this show. <laughs> Go ahead, John. Yeah, I'm just curious. Do we do we know how to qualify or get into the MPL and whether there's like a relegation system or anything like that? No. They they talked about it briefly in the the last announcement they made for like what pro points are. Um, essentially, there's going to be a new leaderboard and the points you get from MCs, which were previously PTs and the points you get from the arena pro tours are going to add up. And then who's ever in, I think top 32 of that is invited to the MPL the following year. At least that's what I understood from the article. It was pretty complicated and convoluted in, in my opinion. Like there's, there's a lot of information that didn't make a whole lot of sense and some more like, Oh, we'll explain more later. Like, when when they when they changed the pro point system multiple different times the last couple of years, it, nobody knew what was going on. Um, as far as I know, that's, that's what's happening now. But I'm sure nobody else really knows what's going on. It, it sounds to me like they've rendered the Grand Prix useless, um, other than you know just the Grand Prix weekend being like a glorified PTQ weekend. Well, they're they're Magic Fests now. Well, well, the event, the weekend is Magic Fest. The event itself is GP. I, I mean, like, I think that's the branding of it, though. It's it's much less like 
a big tournament for grinders to go to. It's uh, a convention for people to celebrate magic, show off cosplay, meet um, artists, and talk about different uh, content production, sort so of speak. Um, maybe sell like like I don't know if you've been to a convention, but you have you have just all sorts of different walks of life there. And I think that's what they're trying to create, but for magic. And then they're trying to separate that line from their professional level esports. Um, and and I think they're trying to draw a line in the sand between like what we know as competitive magic and esports actually, and say like sponsorships are important and esports teams are important. And that sort of thing. Hmm. Uh, I, I, I was just laughing because I was imagining if MPL had like a, a people's choice slot and then John, John was fighting for it and campaigning for it. Like, why you should vote me into the MPL? They're going to have to have some, something special for an invite. I mean, they're going to have to have some kind of, some, maybe not people's choice, but... <laughs> The top because if they do it that way, laid out like uh, Derek said in the article, then the top thirty-two currently have a two hundred percent advantage on more than that, an undisclosable amount of advantage over everyone else because they're invited all the all events. Um, For them to be caught, it's going to be like two that fall off. Yeah, I think um, I think so. In in the way I would assume what wizards is trying to create is they're not trying to let like they're not trying to cycle the mpl they're they're trying to keep the same people in the mpl what they're trying to do is also at the same time create basically people making their own content around magic consistently to get themselves into the sphere of sponsorships and esports teams and content production companies. Um, that way it just generates more talk and exposure around magic. Um, while like they still have these personalities at the top for the MPL. Cause if you just have like 32 personalities already, you're kind of oversaturated with people, you know, like I don't watch every single one of the MPL people. I watch like maybe two or three and then you have them cycling every year. It's going to get very confusing and very convoluted. Um, I think what they're trying to do, they're trying to make a gap so that other esports uh, companies, like um, I know Tempo Storm has picked up some people, pick up uh, competitive Magic players and put them on their team. So it sort of fills the gap of people playing Magic competitively or professionally. Um, that way, people are still creating content uh, and can still play professionally like they are now. That's That's just my how I see it. I don't have any. No, it makes sense. I mean, it sucks, but it makes sense. I think, I th- yeah, I think that's what happens in other, in other games. Also, you have the people who aren't necessarily on the top tier, um, like cloud nine teams, so to speak that are on like B team, uh, esports teams, just producing content, streaming, uh, trying to get better, trying to get their name out there, trying to do promotions, uh, that sort of thing, much less actually being at the top of the, right. the game's elite. They might have to. They might have to create a, an outlet for a B squad for Magic, like some kind of you know. Basically, that's, that's what Gold Pros were for the longest time. 
Um, they're going to have to create something. Maybe it could be completely separate where you just get invite all the tournaments. They, they stage you as like a challenger every time highlight, you know, whatever that's called B squad, B squad, B LSD, big, big deal. You know, I think they could, they could easily pull it off, but they're well, gonna, I feel like they just, it's just, I, in my opinion, I don't think wizards will even be, if that happens, I don't think wizards will be doing it. I think it'll be a third party. I think it'll be like company. Y. Um, invites you to this tournament on MTG Arena on this date. Uh, you've like you played the last four MCs. We want to sponsor you, or we want to put your name in there. You know what I mean? Like I don't think Wizards actually wants to be having anything to do with anybody other than the MPL. I think they just want third parties to cover it, and I think that that saves them a lot of money, saves them a lot of hassle, saves them a lot of random problems that they've probably had in the past seems saves them a lot of uh more announcements even you know they don't have to announce announcements or keep track of all these pros so i don't know i could be wrong though i think I the, the biggest problem for someone who like you know in the in the role of a challenger to the mpl is not going to be you know, the amount of money they make from sponsorships and having a third party sponsor. I think the issue is going to be invites, which is why, like what Shaheen was saying is, you know, you label this group as like the MPL challengers, they get invites to all the tournaments, so they just don't get, you know, the 75K a year salary. So, you know, you once you make the challenger bracket or circuit, whatever you want to call it, then you get your third party sponsorship. That's what pays the bills and you have the invites to the tournament. Right. I think that's a good way to approach it. I also think that there's a decent chance the MPL just grows. You know, we have 32 players right now, but the Invitational, which was like the first big event showcasing them, had like four times the viewership of any of the past Pro Tours. So, you know, does that mean that the MPL grows four times as big? Probably not. But, you know, can Watsi leverage this additional ad revenue and extra eyeballs on, on Magic into 64 MPL spots? Maybe. And, and 64 is. 64 is a lot closer to, you know, the amount of support we saw previously for Magic Pros. I mean, there was like something like 80 or 90 gold and platinum pros total. But um, so having like a 64 is not that bad. But it's it's like not just about the Mythic Invitational, right? Like, how many MPL streamers do you actually watch? I watch maybe five, and the number one is Canister, and I was watching him before. You know, sometimes I watch BBD, sometimes I watch Huey, sometimes I watch Reed. I don't watch uh, Jean Emmanuel Deprez. I don't watch, um, but like most of the others, and I'm going to be honest with you, I, I don't want to. Spoiler alert: You're not watching the streamers who are not streaming in English. No, but like, go go look at their numbers. Their numbers are so small, and because they're not streaming in English. No, like I'm I'm talking like they were streaming in English. Their contract said that they they had to stream partially in English. I'm pretty sure i heard one of them say that at one point and i just don't think that you can you can justify another 32 players streaming to 50 people an hour for 75k a year they're not growing the game at at a complete marketing numbers perspective this makes no sense mm-hmm. sure the mythic invitational got a hundred thousand viewers whatever uh i don't think it's because a lot of people were watching for the bottom 15 50 percent of the mpl 
it wouldn't be I, a, they wouldn't be able to do a streaming part. They would have to do like the vintage Super League. Like those get a lot of viewers. Like those little side things. It would have to be instead of streaming, which is boring. Um, it should be more like like tournaments, exhibition like, games, yeah, exhibition games. I think it has yeah. to be that format if they want to grow it. Because you're right, streaming is is not the way they to, to grow the game outside of the top fifteen or twenty people. Like they have like forty fifty viewers. Partially because, of course, like you said, Elliot said, they don't, it's not in English, which is an unfortunate reality that the majority of players around the world that observe this stuff are you know, English speakers, but that's another issue. Um, I, I also think most, like, streaming is very difficult. I think most people are not built for streaming. Like, even watching some very good players play Magic, I, they're not built for streaming, even though they're speaking English as their first language. And that's not a slight, that's just the way it is. Um, I've watched replay a bit and I'm bored. Reed's one of the better players in the world and I just can't focus on what he's doing because he's not entertaining. But I'll watch some, I don't know, like I like Deathsea. He's, he's an interesting streamer because he's entertaining, but I, I don't think he plays particularly better than average. Um, but like th- there's a lot of streamers like that that are bigger on Arena and you, you see their numbers. Their numbers are 10 times bigger than these professional magic players who are the best in the world because they're entertaining. And I think we talked about this earlier. We are not the demographic that wizards is targeting anymore. It's the people who are looking for these entertaining streamers who are captivated by these entertaining streamers, not the redukes of the world. And so I'd be hard pressed to believe that uh, there's other incentives for more than 32 people to try to be competitive at this game currently. You have to keep the dream alive for grinding, not not for the viewers, but just for the actual boots on the ground. So I don't know. It doesn't have to be a great dream. It could be far fetched. It could be reduced. But I still think they're going to have to fill a void for all the F and Mers where we all started into the uh, IQs where we moved into into the PTQs because that's such a. I mean, that's millions of players worldwide. Yeah. That, that follow that that train of uh, of growth there. So. <laughs> You're going to have to have something for that group. Um, right now, we no one feels it because we haven't been fired yet. Our pink slips in the mail is coming. All right, so at the end of the year, they're going to say no more. Um, and then next year, people are going to say, okay, I want a PTQ. I'm qualified for this Pro Tour. How do I keep it up? Um, and I hope that they have some, some answer for it besides, <laughs> oh, you got to win another one. <laughs> and then the next one, you got to win another one. <laughs> I, hope they, I hope they do something for us here. Yeah, I think uh, I think the desire for the dream is one of the biggest things that's always been driving competitive magic. It's not actually not actually the the grind because we've all been on the grind. Uh, yeah. It's not about the grind. It's yeah. about wanting. How many, players, how many players do you know personally go to every PTQ or PTQ and lose every single time, and they don't care? They, I mean, they might care, but they keep going. I know players have been playing for a decade and they've won five matches in their life. <laughs> they'll, they'll still go. They'll drive four hours. Yeah, I was I was gonna say the people like the people like me who are insane who keep going back to the PTQs. Like, ah, gotta try to queue for the pro tour. But like, it's actually the people who like who have won five matches over like ten years. Like, I just love playing Magic, you know. They love it. They love it. They, they still think they can do it. And they they still have a dream to do it. One well, day, podcasts and 
I just want to be on the pro tour, but I don't want to improve. (laughs) It's a bigger demographic than it should be, but they're there. They're taking away my PTQ spots. Those are the ones. (laughs) Get them out of here. Gonna wrap things up. I can't wait. I can't wait. If there's a challenger, looking forward to future 10 time challenger streets running. Still trying to get into the MPL, but. Oh, uh, yeah. I'll be able to play this game until I'm dead, so I'll, I'll be there. But uh, I did think about like what, what Derek said. Like they, if, if they did add more people in, in the MPL, it wouldn't be like these streamer contracts. I think, I think they're going to see uh, what it looks like, how, what it does for them, and then maybe they'll tweak it for next time. I wonder if they could do, instead of just like just vintage super leads or, or random streams, if they could do some stuff like from the other games, like I think I saw uh, Smash Brothers where they where they invited a bunch of people into the same house and they like competed over different events over over more than just a single day so that people can can because you need people to remember the casual fan to remember people that have competed at the Mythic Invitational. Are you, are you talking about like Summit? Yes, yeah, st- stuff like that. I guess. Yeah, like that stuff's really sweet. Um, and that's, that's sort of what I was thinking about when I said like third party, like, cause that's somebody like has purchased that house, has produced all that content and are basically like they're monetizing Twitch viewers and monetizing advertisements from that. And I think that that is what's maybe it's five years from now, but that's, what's next. It might not be a, a magic house. It might not be that sort of thing, but maybe you see at the side of a Grand Prix Magic Fest, you have a hundred computers and it's the top a hundred arena ladder players playing in this event or these name pros sort of thing. I'm super excited. I I hope that's where it goes. Yeah, because I'm not interested even from a casual perspective to watch like a random NPL streamer stream arena like all the time. So like something like Summit, more interesting, probably builds more brand and more adds more personality. It's something I would love to see. And uh, yeah, that that's my take. Um, okay, so any last words from, from you guys? John, any, anything from you? We're all good. Thank you, Shaheen, for coming on the show. If you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash first strike. Uh, and to get access to John's excellent dredge guide, still relevant, still relevant, still good. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll, hopefully uh, next week we're closing in on, on these guys playing at the Mythic Championship. And uh, yeah, hope, hope I, by next week we should have more information on the Mythic Championship qualifiers. So that's what I'm excited about. And I will be revealing our exclusive spoiler on one of our Twitter accounts on Friday, because that's when we're signed. Uh, Shouts to Jen Krotz in the chat. I love Lincoln Park still. Um, And uh, we'll see you all next week. Bye, everyone. Love you all. 